down a little bit more. Thanks. So we're back from Ecuador, um, safe and sound almost. Broken toe, uh, a couple other infractions. Uh, first of all, I want to say a big thanks to Jared Corzine. Uh, listen to the teaching. Unbelievable job last week uh, uh, to Jared. So thanks, brother, for standing in here in the pulpit and teaching on discipleship. I was truly encouraged. Um, Ecuador, uh, we're, we're going to be showing you here in three weeks. Uh, right now we have, I think, 1,500 pictures compiled, all kinds of video for you. But I want to say this about it um, before we get there. Uh, there are certain times that God's sovereignty uh, feels distant. And when I say sovereignty, I mean His plan, like His unfolding plan. He knows what it is, but it's revealed to us as time goes along. And in the past, we see it through His scriptures and stories that are passed down. But sometimes it like feels like you're like, are you sure? You, are you sure you got this under control? Like, are you sure? I don't know if you're like me, but there's these moments of a lack of faith that comes out at times. And I'm like, God, it, sh- it certainly doesn't seem like this is all going to come together. And then there's other moments when His sovereignty is so close to your face that you just see His beautiful plan unfolding. You see what I'm saying? I met Steve, this missionary that we've connected with in Ecuador, at a pizza place in New York a year ago. And so seeing what God has done from a pizza place in New York to the, how the relationship is built to taking 25 people down and on every facet that we set out to accomplish, the mission not being about the team, connecting with a community is best portrayed by the fact that when we left, I told you all, we want the missionaries, the team down there to be encouraged, to be refreshed, I told you that most uh, missionaries don't like short team, uh, don't like short-term teams because they suck energy and resources. So a big, huge goal for us was to go down and bless them. We brought this family, uh, the, this missionary team down there, like over 300 diapers for their kids, let alone all this like candy that they had, coffee, like just these crazy things. And after this awesome relationship, and I'll share more for a few weeks from now, the two missionaries, Steve and Sandy, they pastored a church for 10 years who's been their sending church. And they told us at the end of the trip that they want to make Matthias their home church. And so like literally going from ascending church, which he pastored, to making this community, when they call home, this is what they call home. And so mission accomplished on every facet. We'll talk more about what happened in the village in a few weeks after we're in the new building. But you guys just uh, give God thanks for that because that's pretty incredible. All right, now, we have much work to do. Are you ready? Okay. We're in the book of Hebrews. Here at Matthias, we study the scripture verse by verse, book by book, so that we don't deny the hard truths of the scriptures. Tonight is one of those nights that if God would soften your heart enough, if He would open your eyes enough, if He would tune you in to the scripture enough, I truly believe that we're in for an opportunity for a complete transformation for each of us. So I need you guys to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. When you guys have a page number, I'll just shout it out for me if you could in your pew Bible there. Hebrews chapter 3. By the way, this is the last time you'll have a pew Bible right in front of you. You'll not have to pick them up. So sorry for the lazy. Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7 where we studied a couple weeks ago and pick up there and then read the whole context. So let's start in Hebrews 3 verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. You remember 
Chapter 3 is all about Jesus' superiority to Moses. And I've told you before, Moses to the Jews is an unparalleled character. They, adhere, they love him, they adore him. He, he sits on, on a place that no other Jew, even Abraham, doesn't sit on. Verse 9. Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked to that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. In the last two verses we studied two weeks ago, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, uh, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. Exhort, encourage, challenge the blessing, the opportunity, the awesome thing that we have as the church is this phenomenal chance to exhort and encourage and challenge and hold accountable. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence uh, firm to the end. Verse 15, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Tonight we have a chance and an opportunity to dig into the scripture word for word and glean what God would have of us. So let's begin here in verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This phrase, sharing in Christ, has brought whole new meaning for me about the understanding of the unity that we have in Jesus. I was um, yesterday preaching at a pastor's conference and when I spoke last Sunday in Ecuador to the church plant, what I said that there's certain moments in your life where you just feel this profound sense of unity with other things. Um, for those of you that are, have been married, any married couples here, right? Like at that moment, okay, there's three of you, there's more than that, some of you aren't sure. Okay, um, th- there's this moment on the altar there when you exchange rings and vows, and I'm sure you, you've experienced it. It's just this profound sense of unity, right? Like this crazy connection. I had that same connection when, uh, when Avery was birthed and, and just holding my awesome child, like this amazing connection, this unity with my kid. But none of that compares to the unity that we have in Christ. We share in Christ. And so when I was in Ecuador and this team was sitting around and we were worshiping together, some singing in Spanish, others in English, there is this profound sense of unity that I can't share with my wife and that I can't share with my kids because it's only through the Spirit. If my wife loves God, yes. If my kids end up loving God, yes. But only in the Spirit. This profound sense of like, I don't know your name, but I feel like we're brothers because we are. He says, if, if we share in Christ, if indeed we have this bond, this union that can't be broken, then it has profound implications. And I think the first of which for us tonight as we begin to prepare to move to Main Street and this church goes through a transition, it's an awesome opportunity for me to say this. If there's any time in our church where divisiveness could come, it's now. We're moving to two services. We're not going to be gathered like this for, unless, uh, except four times a year when we do big gatherings. There's an opportunity 
for the enemy to get a foothold, begin to divide us, begin to let gossip run the show, begin to let judgment in. We must fight it through the unity that we already have in Christ. If we share in Christ, you see, that sharing is what those who don't know Jesus are trying to find in all kinds of other things. If I can just have that, what they have, that sense of unity, and so they're reaching out and grabbing. Isn't it awesome that you need not reach out for anything? It's here in Christ. So he says in verse 14, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed, only used two times in the New Testament, its reference is to bring escalation to the condition, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the, what's the word? To the end. How many of you guys have ever done a diet before? Any dieters here? Okay. All right, three of you. Okay. We're all about health here at Matthias. I like it. Well, uh, a couple years ago, um, I had decided that it was time to go on a diet. I was drinking uh, large amounts of Mountain Dew. Um, in fact, I was consuming probably a good gallon a day. Um, and my dentist friend said that that probably wasn't good for my teeth, let alone anything else in my body. And uh, I had put on uh, several pounds, and so I, I saw a honeymoon picture of me actually and got a little bit discouraged. And so I decided one day that I was just going to, like this had to change. So I was going to start exercising. Brilliant thought, Right. And I was going to stop drinking Mountain Dew and replace it with, you know, some things that are healthier like Diet Coke and some other things. Um, but, but anyway, what, what happened was, like, though there was this strong tension in me at times to quit and to, like, just let go, like, God really blessed it. But, but I've started before, like, previously, and some of you guys know, like, these weird commitments that I've done, like, no pizza for a year or, you know, like, no pixie sticks for a month or, like, just, like, these weird commitments... Um, but those of you guys that have started dieting before, you know how incredibly tough it is to finish. Um, uh, some of you guys have run a, a half marathon before. I, I kind of did that as well. And uh, take it from me, it's really hard to finish, um, especially when you're wearing new shoes and you're not wearing the appropriate clothing. Like, it's just really tough to finish. Um, things in our culture are just, it's hard to, it's hard to, get, to the, get to the goal. It's hard to finish. It's it's, can we just agree with this? It's easy to start anything, isn't it? It's fresh. It feels good. Like anytime new vision is casted or you begin to start a new friendship, there's something that instantly pulls you in because it's easy. There's not a lot of commitment involved. But to finish something, to get to the end, to begin in faith and end in faith, my friends, is so incredibly difficult. That's why here the overarching theme of Hebrews is not once saved, always saved, but if saved, always saved, over and over and over. It's not that you can somehow lose your salvation. It's, it's that if you were saved, then that will continue through the end to reveal itself through fruit in your life. It's, it's plain and simple. You can't end something, a covenant that you didn't begin. Uh, just a beautiful thought here. So in verse 14, look at this. For we have come to share in Christ if, condition, if indeed... We hold our confidence, our original confidence, firm to the end. The Israelites did this as well. They started well. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 30, don't, don't flip there, listen to this. Right after the coming of the Red Sea, the scripture says this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw that the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the, sea, uh, on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and look, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. They started well. They've just seen this profound picture of God's power, the parting of the Red Sea. They start well. 
But he's writing this because something happens after they begin. Let's look at verse 15. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We've already seen this passage in verse 7. And look what he says here in verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? He begins five rhetorical questions here, beginning with this concept of rebellion. Let's hang here for a moment if we could. Uh, Just the word rebellion gets some of you excited, right? It it begins when we're kids. Our parents make rules and we love to rebel against them, right? Anyone, right? Yeah, all of these rules, there's this, listen, there's this innate sense in each of us that longs to rebel against whatever is in authority. It's because, listen, it's because it feels real and authentic and genuine and mostly organic, doesn't it? Like the thought of being a part of like fighting against a man, you know? Like just that, just that concept. Okay, some of you guys know I don't have Facebook and Twitter. There's a piece of that in me that's just rebelling like against the culture, and I love it. You know what I'm saying? People are always like, do you have Facebook? Nope, I'm fighting the man. Do you have Twitter? Nope, fighting the man. I love it. You know what I'm saying? A one-man rebellion. Let's do this. There's something innately in all of us that just love rebellion, and then we get to school, and you and your coronies like sitting in the back of the classroom, right? Like, it, 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 it all starts there, and the rebellion begins against the teacher. The teacher's like, stop talking. You're like, what up, dude? Like, no way, we're, you know. And I, you remember, remember those days? And you and your boys, or you and your girls, I don't know if girls rebel, they, you know, they do it in different ways, but, but guys, like, for us, it's like talking and acting out. I was voted class clown from my seventh grade year to uh, when I was a senior in high school. I'm not really proud of that, but I just love, like, when teachers would be, like, put all these rules on us and just rebelling against it. We have this innate sense in us that longs to rebel. Now, listen. If this is innately in us, it's so difficult for us to not transfer that rebellion, that passion for it, to our relationship with Father God. If there's this innate, listen, if there's this innate longing in us to go against authority because it feels like we're a part of a movement, are you with me? Like anytime you're rebelling against something, especially with some other people, It feels like you're connected with them in ways like, no, all those people, but here we stand. We stand our ground. And that's exactly what the Israelites were struggling with. They were struggling with the authority figure of God and going completely against it. If you guys have your Bibles, I want to show you one of these instances. Turn to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. When you guys get there, give me a page number if you can. 105 is the page number. Numbers 14. Now, two weeks ago, I talked about they're on the brink of the promised land. They send some spies out. The spies come back, give a bad report except one. And this is what ends up happening because of that response of the spies in Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader 
and go back to Egypt. Not just is this a rebellion, but they're literally ready to shift their complete idea of leadership from Moses to another. And what does the scripture say? Listen, the whole congregation. And there's something in you, something strange, something innate, that like connects with this in a weird way. Because it's just the idea of going against the entire grain of culture. It grabs our heart. We have the sense in us to rebel. And so what ends up happening is the authority of God through the Scriptures, the truths, the promises of the Word of God, it's so difficult to not transfer that to that authority figure. But here's the problem. The whole concept of the Gospel, the whole movement of the Gospel is exactly the rebellion you long for. You just haven't maybe connected it yet. You still long to be a part of rebellions in this like physical concept, and you haven't yet connected to the fact that God has blessed you through His Son Jesus with grace in this constant, lifelong battle against the enemy, rebelling against this yoke of slavery with God as our leader who will never fail, you're in it! This organic movement that isn't bound by brick and mortar. It's when we lose that mentality. It's when we forget that we're in the fight. Like all the scripture talks about, fight the good fight. It's when we forget that that we begin to look for rebellion in other places. And that's why many of you have looked God literally in the scriptures and you've said, no, I will go my own way because you can't tell me what to do when God's like, no, no, the gospel, the gospel is this organic, spirit-led movement that is exactly what you long for. Don't rebel. Go with this rebellion against the sin nature, against the laws of this culture. Let's join together, share in Christ, and move forward. You see, but so many of you find yourself tonight in the wrong battle, in the wrong war. Rebelling not against the sin nature and culture, but rather God Himself. His statutes, the life of Jesus, because of your life, you're saying, no, I believe I'll go my own way. And that's what the Israelites did, and it didn't work out too well for them. Let's look and see what goes on here in the rest of the Scripture. Verse 17, And with whom, in his uh, uh, third rhetorical question here, And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Uh, Now this isn't talking about like tripping over the rocks, right? Uh, They didn't like fall in the wilderness like all of a sudden. No. They died in the wilderness. Their bodies died there because of, what does the scripture say? Because of their sin. Rebellion towards God isn't like fighting against the man in this culture. It's sin. Rebellion towards God is disobedience. Rebellion towards God and His statutes and the things that He's called us to do is complete sin. And the penalty to sin, even in this case, is death. Thankfully, through Christ, we can have life. But we see here, the Israelites fall dead because of their rebellion. Though they've seen the miraculous works of God all around them, 
Though they've experienced the power of God in unbelievable ways, the sea parting, manna from heaven, water springing forth, they still rebel against the one who's provided. And, and now doesn't this whole thought begin to seem ludicrous? That we rebel against the very thing that's providing us life. We go against the authority of the very one who is in his authority saved us. And yet we say, no, I'll go my own way. Verse 18 says this, And to whom, in his last rhetorical question, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient, to those who looked at God and said, no, 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 we're not going to obey what you've said. I know that you've claimed some certain things about this, but we're going to completely go our own way. And they didn't enter the promised land. They didn't enter God's rest. And it all ends here in this beautiful passage in verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of, what's the word? Of unbelief. Now, I talked last time about the power of doubt. Of how doubt's infectious. Of how one of the reasons why as a church we need to exhort one another is that we can battle doubt. Because doubts arise and as doubt begins to spread, it can become a doubt rebellion within the church. Yeah, but what about this and what about this? We're seeing this culturally right now in a particular kind of teaching that's like gripped some of our culture, putting doubts and questions in Christians' minds that should get back to the Scripture, right? The whole reason the Israelites did not go into the Promised Land was because of their unbelief. Now, what the Israelites have done is they've said one statement to God. I don't want what you have for me. I don't want it. I don't want what you have for me. I don't want what you've planned for me. I don't want anything that any of that comes with. I don't want it. And did you hear what they said? What did they say? Take us back to Egypt. Put us back in slavery. Put us back in bondage. Put us back there where we were completely worked to the max. Take us back there. Now listen, we would all agree that, that this is literally one of the most ludicrous statements you could ever make, right? You've seen the power of God. And to ever desire to go back to where you were is completely ludicrous. And that's right where you find yourself. As doubt creeps in, and the power of unbelief begins to grip you. You in your actions and in the motives of your heart communicate, take me back before there was grace. Let me live again in the yoke of the slavery of sin. Let me experience what I never got to experience. Let me try this out. Let me test this piece of sin that I've never tasted. Just give me one piece of this. Let me go back before there was this understanding that I'm supposed to love people. I don't want to love people. I don't want what you have for me. I don't want any piece of it. Give me what I want when I want it. And at the convenient time, you and I will have communion and we'll move forward. That's what the Israelites are saying. I don't, I don't want it. I'll rebel completely against you. Do you see how ludicrous and crazy and literally numbing that that statement sound, the way that that statement sounds? Take me back there. 
Listen, that's what rebellion is. Rebellion in our context is saying to God, take me back before I ever knew you. Put me back in slavery. Grip me again with sin so that I can't experience the freedom that you provide, but rather get to experience the freedom that you think sin gives. Straight up right now, in a moment of vulnerability, can I ask you this? Do you feel like right now your innate sense of rebellion has gone so far that right now in your current state you're completely rebelling against the power of God and you're telling Him, I don't want what you have for me. Listen, what could have the Israelites done? Have you ever considered this? They begin to grumble three days after the Red Sea. What could they have done? You remember what happens? The water's bitter. So what do they start doing, everyone? What do they start doing? They're grumbling, right? Give us good water. Like this water, this water's no good. They begin to grumble. And that grumbling is rebellion. What's not rebellion? What could these Israelites have done? They could have pleaded to God. Have you ever considered that? What if the Israelites as they began to have their faith tested, instead of grumbling to Moses, got on their knees and said, God, would you give us water? We trust that you brought us out here, and we want whatever you have for us. Suffering, joy, whatever you have. We know that this is about your glory. What if they would have done that? Would they have still been in sin? Would they have still been in disobedience? Would they still have been in rebellion? No. They would have been right in the place that God wanted them, on their face, completely humbled and completely needy of everything that God had to provide. But they didn't. They grumbled, they looked to one another, and in their doubt and their faith, they said, no, we don't want what you have. Take us back to Egypt. I feel like this teaching right now is for us. A church getting ready to move down to a location that is in the heart of our city, in a location and a setting that's completely different and that's completely beautiful. I believe this teaching is for us. We have a chance to not just look a new kind of culture almost face to face, but to say in the moments of potential grumbling, the moments of potential suffering, the moments of potential gossip or wondering, we have the opportunity to take all of that doubt and turn that doubt to pleading on our face. Oh God, whatever you have for us, whatever you have, whatever you have, suffering, joy, bring anything, God, I just want to give you glory. And that's what the Israelites didn't realize. They were trying to live in their experience and their existence. And a moment when things began to get uncomfortable then they begin to grumble. But what if, listen, what if the moments of uncomfortable were just the moments that God had ordained, had planned, so that we as a church could get on our face and say, God, whatever you would have, I want whatever it is, joy, suffering, pain, whatever you have, God. I don't want to rebel against you or who you are. I want a desire to give you glory in everything. What if this church embraced that? What if this church embraced rebellion against the very thing that each of you feel in this 
in the depths of your heart that you long to be a part of, what if that happened? Then no matter what experience we ever go through or what season this church ever enters in, do you understand that we'll find ourselves on our face and not looking each other in the eye wondering what's wrong? We'll be asking God, please come and help us. We have nowhere to go. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. When I was 18 years old, I come to this uh, crossroad in my life. I felt like I knew what God was calling me to do. And all my days of discernment were filled with this constant nagging doubt. No, 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 that's going to be too, no, that's going to be too difficult. Your name is going to be diminished. There's going to be struggle and strife here. And I still remember the day when God literally broke me at my knees, at my core, the very being of who I was, and said, no, 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 you're missing it. I have everything you need, even if it's to take your life. Even if it's to completely give up everything you have. And at that moment, in all humility and yet in all confidence as a son of God, and if a son and an heir, it's at that moment, my friends, for us, that the rebellion turns. No longer to God, but my friends, with God against this enemy that one day will crumble. I'd rather be in a rebellion that wins than a rebellion that's dying. And the other is happening, my friends. We will be victorious through Christ. We will experience this awesome power of when God will finally say, no, no longer. And all those who have been faithful to the end will share in the bounty of Christ. That's the picture of the church. So tonight are you sharing in it or rebelling against it? Which one is it? Are you sharing in it or rebelling against it? Because grace is right here. Not in a hand, but in a cross. Not in a word, but in an empty tomb. And so for those of you that find yourself on the hamster wheel of repetitive sin and struggle, you find yourself looking at God and consistently saying, I don't want what you have for me. I'll go my own way. I trust myself more. Can I tell you this? That rebellion is dying and will die and leads to death. But there's a way of life with that innate sense in you to be a part of something organic and life-giving and moving can be found at the source of it all in the person of Jesus. So I ask you as we worship tonight, are you sharing in it or rebelling against it? Let's share in it together.